Well, I'll tell you what, you sure are adoring him tonight. I love being in this room and everyone is singing loudly and passionately because they know the love of God and they love God in return. And that's really what we're here to do. We're here to remember his love and then learn how to love him because of his great love. Now tonight, I'm actually going to invite you, would you stand with me as we jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to start by reading from the Word of God, verses 3 and verses 4. I want to allow these words to be like the, the pilot verses for tonight as we begin to, or we continue working through this book. Listen to what Paul writes, chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. Verse 3 says, For our, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, with those words resonating in our hearts and minds, let's stop and have a seat. It, so glad you're here tonight. You know, if you haven't been with us, what we did is a few weeks ago, we looked at Acts 17, where Paul, he goes to this, this city of Thessalonica, and he preaches the gospel, and people believe. And then last week, we said, okay, now Paul is going to write a letter to this church, and we worked through the first 10 verses of this letter, or the entirety of chapter 1, and now tonight, tonight we're in chapter 2. Now, we're not just in chapter 2, though. We're also kind of wondering, at least as people have spoken to me tonight, we're kind of wondering, what is Mike in? What is Mike wearing? I, I, I know this isn't my usual attire, right? I had so many people come up to me and say, what are you wearing tonight? Some people said, oh, man, Mike, you look so comfy, right? One person, they said, Mike, are you a hippie now? <laughs> Someone said, oh, is that African garb? I said, nope. I actually got this. In Guatemala. In 2013, I was in Guatemala and uh, served there, and I found this, and I thought it was pretty awesome. It was a good reminder of the work I got to do there. But, but here's the deal. You, you aren't used to me wearing something like this, are you? It's kind of it's kind of strange to have, I guess, Mike, and I, I kind of got a, I don't know about a uniform, but I, I tend to dress in a way that I don't want to be very distracting. I don't want people sitting here looking at my shirt instead of listening to the Word of God. And so I, I tend to dress in a way that's respectable and connects with people, but, but really, it's not a very important thing for me. And so when I wear something like this, you're like, what is that? What, what are those? <laughs> Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. What is that? Here's why I wore it tonight. I almost wore a baseball jersey because we came straight from a baseball game. You guys saw Asher running around in his jersey, right? He had his last t-ball game of the season tonight. But, but here's the deal. If I come week after week dressed in a very similar way, and our culture expects people to dress in a certain way, and then I show up and I'm dressed in a way that is not part of our culture at all. I guarantee you've never seen this before because you— most of you haven't been to Guatemala, or you don't know someone who has, right? It throws everything off. See, there's an expectation. There's an expectation in our culture, generally, of how people dress. Now, we're pretty casual here, and we really don't make a big deal about attire. That's not the point. My point is, I think that's exactly what we're going to see as we open up to this chapter in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. What we're going to see tonight, if you follow it along with our big idea, is when we're talking about presenting the gospel. Paul presented the gospel when he went to the Thessalonians. 
When we're talking about presenting it, we, we want to make sure that our full presentation of the gospel, it also has a loving demonstration of the gospel. In the same way we expect certain attire here, what I want to challenge you to understand tonight and to think and to believe and maybe have some, some change in your life about tonight is that if you are going to be someone who, who is living for the gospel, if you're going to be someone who is going to share the gospel, if you're going to be someone who's going to proclaim the gospel, if you're going to be someone who says those incredible words, Jesus, Jesus Christ, and if those words come out of your mouth, especially in relationship to people who do not know him, that proclamation, that presentation, that declaration, it expects a certain kind of demonstration. It expects a life that isn't perfect, but it expects a life that in some ways is reflective of the Christ that you're talking about. That's what we see when Paul writes these next 12 verses in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, what we're going to see is Paul, he reminds us of his aim, the aim of the gospel, and then from there, he, he lays out the motive we have in sharing the gospel. And then he, really, he's going to show just like a, a photo album of pictures of what that actually looks like. You want to know what it looks like to share the gospel and to live the gospel? Open up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and let's dive in. Let's dive in and let's ask, what is the kind of presentation of the gospel and what is the kind of demonstration of the gospel that are supposed to be paired together and matched in a way that compels people about the truth of the gospel? I mentioned that he starts with the goal. If you look at the first two verses there, you're going to see that our goal of gospel presentation is gospel impact. When we share the gospel, our goal, I mean, this seems almost like a no-brainer, but when we talk about the gospel, our goal is not that we can go and check a box at home and say, oh, I talked about Jesus today. Our goal is not so that we can talk about Jesus with someone and then be like, yep, I'm better than they are. <laughs> our goal is that when we talk about Christ, it has a life altering, eternity-changing impact. Open up 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul begins this way. He says, For you yourselves, you, you Thessalonians, who knew me, who saw me, who met me, who heard me teach, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much conflict. He, he, here's what Paul is saying. He is saying that when we came to you, we came to you and we presented the gospel and it was not in vain. He says, we, we, what we learn here is that we aim... We aim at fruitful ministry. We aim that when we talk about Christ, someone actually listens. We aim that when we share about Jesus, someone's life is changed. Verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was not empty. That's what that word in vain means. It was not worthless. That's what that word in vain means. It, it was not pointless. 
Paul wasn't just going through the motions. Paul wasn't just trying to pat himself on the back. Yep, I went to another city and I talked about Jesus and now I'm going to go to another one. As if he had some Boy Scout badge. One city after another, he was trying to put it on himself. He said, our coming to you was not in vain. It was not pointless. It was not worthless. No, it had an impact. What was the impact? Acts 17 verse 4. And some of them were persuaded And they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. He he says, when we came and we shared the gospel, it changed your life. When we came and we shared the gospel, it it made a difference. When we came and we shared, you you were persuaded. And now what were they persuaded to do? Were they persuaded to simply be good people? Was that, was that Paul's goal? That, that would be a goal that would be in vain. Were, were they persuaded simply to stop doing some of the bad things that they were doing? I'll tell you what right now. If that's the only thing that they were persuaded to, Paul would say that their, their coming would be in vain. If the only thing that changed is moral behavior, then the gospel or their coming, it, it was in vain. Were they persuaded simply to go to church once in a while and hang out with a new group of people, uh, you know, for an hour and a half on a weekend? Is that what their persuasion was about? If that's the only thing that those who listened to the message of Paul were persuaded to do, he would say, our coming to you, it was worthless. What did he persuade them in? He persuaded them about a person, he persuaded them about Jesus. Remember, he, he reasoned with them according to the scriptures. He proved to them that they had a great need. Their great need was that every one of them, they stood condemned before a holy God. This is a great need that you and I have too, isn't it? The great need that he came to Thessalonica and he proclaimed, he said, listen, you have, you have rebelled against God, the one who made everything, the one who made you, and he made you so that you know him and so that you walk with him, so that you can, you can please him and be in relationship with him. But you know what you did? You turned your back on the creator of the universe and the creator of you. How did I do that? With every lying word, with every lustful look, with every angry action and thought, with every moment of selfishness that you have walked in, all of that the scripture calls, it calls sin. And it says, because of our sin, we stand in broken relationship with God. And not only that, we stand condemned before God. This is not a broken relationship like we need counseling. This is a broken relationship where, where we are going to be judged. And so when those people who listened to Paul, when he came to town, when they were persuaded, they were persuaded that Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He did not do any of the sinful, selfish things that you and I have done. And then Jesus, he, he experienced a sacrificial death. He said, I'm going to take your place. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to take all of the consequence and all of the condemnation for your sin, and I'm going to carry it with me to the cross, that he was a substitute in your place, that Jesus didn't just die for you, but Jesus was buried, and that he was resurrected from the grave. And so that everyone and anyone who believes this simple message, Jesus died to save you because of your sin, and he rose to give you life, they were persuaded that was true, and they were saved. Paul says, our coming to you, 
it was not in vain. It wasn't in vain because they believed the gospel. They trusted in Christ. They didn't just have a moral shift in their life where they stopped lying and stealing so much. Their life was radically transformed. It was now centered on Christ and his death and resurrection. And so we aim at the same thing. We aim at people, not just, not just being a better person. Our goal is not that we teach the gospel to our families so that our kids will be good kids. No, our goal is that we teach the gospel to our families so our kids will be redeemed, so they'll be saved, so they'll be transformed. But, but not only do we aim for this fruitful ministry, but, but listen, it, it, we do this, we, we, we aim for fruitful ministry, but we also press on in affliction. Verse 2. Paul says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi. When Paul came to Thessalonica, he, he showed up. I mentioned this last week and the week before, I think. He showed up not with a W on the scoreboard. He showed up with what felt like a giant L, a giant loss. Yes, there was good ministry in Philippi, but he showed up. He says, having, having suffered and been shamefully treated. You, you want to know how he suffered? Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 22 through 24. This is, this is how Paul was treated right before he came to Thessalonica. This is the experience Paul had sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus in Philippi. Look at these verses. It says, the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates, they tore their garments off of them and they gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into a prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Verse 24, having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You, you, you ever been beaten with rods for talking about Jesus? You ever had your, your robes ripped off of you as you're beaten with rods for talking about Jesus? Have you ever been thrown in prison? Be praying for pastors in Canada right now. There are pastors in Canada that are regularly being arrested because their church is gathering just like this one. You ever had your feet put in stocks for talking about Jesus? See, see, Paul and his missionary company, they pressed on despite affliction. Listen to me. If there was ever a time where they could have decided to throw in the towel, if there was ever a time where they could have decided, I think it's time we retire from gospel ministry, this was that moment. I mean, they could retire. They say, you know what? We have been beaten. We have been whooped. We've been thrown in prison. We have had the worst experience. It was shameful. I think I'm going to go buy a ranch and just hang out, out some, some, somewhere outside of town. But they pressed on despite affliction. See, we aim for a fruitful ministry. And, and you and I, this means we also, we press on. We press on even if we have it's hard to even get the word out even if we have suffering I imagine you and I our suffering doesn't even come close to what Paul and his company experienced yet when there's affliction for our allegiance to Christ we, we press on but finally that this means that we are bold despite opposition 
See, if our aim, if our aim is gospel impact, this means that we are bold despite opposition. Continue in verse 2. As you know, we had boldness in our God to, to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, this is, this is not the conflict in Philippi. This is now the conflict that they experienced when they went to Thessalonica. Remember, they, 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 for three weeks, Paul and Silas, they reasoned from the scriptures. And then the Jewish leaders, they became jealous because people were believing and people were following Paul. And out of their jealousy, they decided they, they were going to attack Paul and Silas, but instead they, they kicked down the door of Jason. There was tons of conflict. He says, it, he says, there was much conflict. But listen, they proclaimed the gospel boldly even still. You see, they knew something that is vital for every believer to, to believe in the core of their heart. If God wants you to accomplish something for the gospel, no work of man has any chance of stopping it. Listen to those words. If God wants you to share the gospel with a friend at work, if God wants you to proclaim the gospel to your family or your neighbors or your classmates or your coworkers, if God wants you to be the light in your community who is faithfully sharing the gospel, if God has called you to do that, there is no work of man that can stop it. And even if it feels like they stop it, even if they put you in shackles, even if they shut you up, the work of God will go forward. That's what Paul and Silas knew here. That's why they proclaimed it not timidly, not fearfully, not, not with anxious knees buckling every time, and not with, not with hands and heads sweating every moment. They said we proclaimed it boldly. We had boldness in themselves. Look at the text. They had boldness in their God. They had boldness in their God. See, our goal is gospel impact. This means that we aim at fruitfulness despite affliction. This means we aim at gospel impact despite conflict. This means we press forward no matter how hard the world might press us back. That's our aim. Now, if that's our aim, then the question is, what is our motive and the question is, what is our motive? Is our motive to press forward and to press hard so that we can crush our enemies and so that we can be the ones in power and so that we can be the ones that everyone looks at as, as in charge or wealthy or whatever? The next thing Paul does here is he begins to lay out his motivation. And what he really says as we look at these next few verses, he says that our motivation of gospel presentation, it's sincerity. It's sincerity. It's a genuine love for people, even those who oppose us. And it's a genuine love for God. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Verses three through six. He says, for our appeal, for our appeal, it does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He says, here's our our motivation of gospel presentation. It is sincerity. And and so listen, he, he was sincere, first of all, despite the accusations. What we're going to see is people were probably lobbying accusations at Paul and the other people sharing the gospel. And guess what? People will accuse you as a believer. They, they will hurl accusations at you that may be completely made up and completely false. This is what Paul is saying here. Look at verse 3. He says, We should be sincere despite accusations. Verse 3 says, For our appeal does not spring forth from error or from impurity, or any attempt to deceive. See, it's likely there were some people that were accusing Paul and Silas. They were saying, they're they're just flat out wrong. That word error means to be mistaken. It's it's the idea that, that the gospel's not true. It doesn't matter how much Paul and his companions believe it. The gospel's not true. These people are just outright, they're wrong. That's what error is. They were being accused of of speaking from error or appealing from error or secondly, from impurity. This is the idea of immorality or or really this is the idea of selfishness. So some people were accusing Paul and Silas of proclaiming the gospel out of selfishness. They were saying, you, you know what you're really trying to do is, is you are really, you are just trying to get a following, You're just trying to take people away from us so they'll follow you because you've got a giant ego because you're so selfish. So some people would say that they were being selfish and impure or others say that they were straight out deceptive. They were deceptive. This is any attempt to deceive. This means that some would accuse Paul of of preaching in a way that would deceive or trick people specifically so that they wouldn't just follow them but they would Paul and Silas could trick them out of their finances. Christians get accused of these all the time. Sometimes with great evidence. Now, there there are preachers that they've they've built a massive following with loads of people, and in that, they've got loads of wealth that is obscene, and you're kind of like, okay, I could see why someone would say that their their motive is greed or impure. But, But what about when they accuse you? Of these things? What about when your family member or your co worker says, you know what? You believe something that is completely and patently wrong, false, and a lie. And their heart, their heart is so hard and their mind is so closed that they don't even listen to reason. So they look at you and they just think you are a simpleton and, and, and that you're stupid. How, how could you ever believe that? Or others will look at us, they'll look at you today, and they'll accuse you, and they'll say, you know, you, you're nothing but a hypocrite. You, you're just as immoral as everyone else. And most of us say, yeah, I, I, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. The difference between me and you isn't that I'm more moral than you. The difference between me and you isn't that I'm better than you. The difference between me and you isn't that I have some high horse that I ride around on town on saying like, oh, I'm so much better. no. No, I'm just forgiven. 
I've just found grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. Or, or others will look at you and they'll say, I hear this more and more these days, that, that you as a believer in Christ, you are just straight up evil. Well, why would they say this? Well, I mean, aren't you so judgmental with your moral code? Well, why can't you just... Say love is love and, and just let everyone throw off any kind of moral boundary whatsoever as long as it makes them happy. How dare you stand in judgment? You know what? Your judgment means that you are an evil person and you should be condemned. These are the kind of accusations, similar kinds of accusations that were lobbed against Paul and against Silas. Silas and I think these are the same ones that some of us face every week as we sincerely aim for fruitful gospel ministry. And so we say, no, 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 these aren't our motives. I know what I believe. I know why I share. It's not out of an immoral, I just want you to follow me, or, or pride. I know the reason I proclaim the gospel. It's not so that I can have a following or, or so that I can have greedy things. No, I follow because I have found the Savior. This is really what Paul is getting at. And so because of this, because, listen, because the world will try to gaslight you with all of these different accusations, you know, you know what gaslighting is? It's kind of like the, the intellectual or, or mental or, or even like manipulation that the world does when they try to like corner you and, and, and argue from a false premise so that you feel guilty or so that you feel bad. Hey, you're just wrong, or you're, de you're deceiving people, or you're evil with your moral standard. They try to gaslight you so you shut your mouth. But Paul says, you know what? You, you've got to decide who you're going to try to please. You're going to you have to decide who you are trying to please. You see, if you have a sincere motive, where you sincerely love God because of the gospel, and when you sincerely love those around you who have yet to trust in Christ, if you have that sincere motive, you have to decide, okay, am I going to be shut up by the world around me? But Paul lays it on kind of thick here. Verse 4, he shows us that some, some aim to please God. Verse 4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. So we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. But Paul says, my aim is ultimately to please God, because ultimately God is the one who knows my heart. I find so much hope in this verse right here. Because if I'm in the middle of a tough conversation where someone is actually accusing me, they're, they're attacking my motives. Maybe they're attacking my methods. In that moment, if I know my heart before God is one that is sincere, in that moment, if I know that I've already been approved by God, I have because Jesus died and rose again, and he's placed each of us as ambassadors of Christ. In that moment, no matter what they say, I know that they don't test my heart. And they don't test your heart. God is the one that tests our hearts. See, we, we say we are going to please God. This means that we are not going to please man. You see, some, some aim to please man. Verse 5, 
Verse 5 describes the kind of person who has the gospel, but maybe their goal isn't to please God. Their goal is to please man. He says, for we never came with words of flattery. He says, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Flattery. Paul says when we came, we didn't come telling you all the things that you want to hear. Paul says when we came, we were willing to say the, whatever the scripture says. We, I, I believe they did it gently but boldly. But he says we didn't come trying to flatter you so that you would follow us. You understand the difference? The difference is if I stand up here week after week and I says, God loves you so much and you're so special to him. Are those things true? Yes. But if that's all I ever say, and if all I ever say is, I come up and say, and you are a conqueror, and you're an overcomer, and you can do anything because Christ is in you, and you know what? You should expect to be healthy, and you should expect to be wealthy, and you should expect everything to work out just fine every day, and if it's not, you just need a little bit more faith, but you can do it. Just put a little bit more coin in the pocket, right? If I came up here every week, the scripture calls that tickling ears. That's the kind of flattery Paul is talking about, and Paul says that's not what we're supposed to do. He says, you, he says, you yourselves know. This is the words he says. He says, as you know, we didn't come to flatter you. He, Paul wasn't the guy that you came and you, you had a big piece of spinach stuck in your teeth. And he says, what a beautiful smile. <laughs> he says, you need some floss. More importantly, Paul wasn't the guy then instead of having a big piece of spinach in your teeth, you have this glaring need for the gospel because of your sin and your corruption and the condemnation that you stand in. And Paul doesn't say, God loves you. He says, God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin and you need to believe in the gospel of Christ. You see, ministry today, it's really tempting it's really tempting to, to, to shave off the difficult parts of the scripture. I mean, I can tell you how to grow a giant church. I can take you to some giant churches. And I think there's some, some decent motivation in those places, but, but sometimes what they do is to keep it giant or, or, or to keep a following. I can take you even to some small churches that do the exact same thing. They, they shave off the, the offensive places in scripture and they operate by flattery. But listen, it's not just ministry. It's not just me. You feel that temptation, don't you? You feel that temptation when you have coworkers and family members and classmates and neighbors and, and they talk about Jesus like they're in Jesus and they act like they're a Christian and yet there's nothing in their life that smells like Christ whatsoever and you know they probably need to hear the truth of the gospel of the word of God and, and yet it's so much easier to just call them brother and say God bless you and let them go on their way. And yet, this isn't what we do. This is not, that's not sincere ministry. That's a ministry of flattery. And it might not be greed, because you might not be getting your pockets lined, but it is greed in terms of relationships. You care more about them liking you than you care about their soul being saved. This is, this is not how Paul rolled. 
Paul actually calls God onto the witness stand. He says, God is our witness. Because God knows the depths of his heart. And God knows the way he aimed to please not man, but to please God. So some please God, some please man. But listen, some, they simply please self. Verse 6. This is Paul saying, this is not how I rolled. He says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Listen, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. To seek glory from people is to seek the praise of people, to seek the adoration of people, to seek people saying they like them, and they like them maybe better than someone else, right? Paul says our goal was not to come and pull you away from the Jewish leaders. Our goal was to come and pull you away from your sin. (laughs) Our goal was not to come and pull you so you would follow me. My goal is to come and share the gospel so that you follow Christ. This is what Paul did. He He says, and you know what? He says, I could have. I could have made demands on you. Paul actually could have said, hey, as an apostle, I would like you to take care of all of my needs. He had that right. There were times when people did care for his needs and he accepted that, but there were other times, like in a contentious, conflict-ridden area like Thessalonica, where he didn't. We're going to talk more about that in a minute, likely. He says, my aim was to please God, not man, and ultimately not to please myself. He, he says, I did not have a motivation that was selfish. Are you still with me? See, see when we talk about this, this gospel, our aim is that it has an impact, and that means our motivation, it must be sincere. Let me ask you, who are you trying to please in your life? Are you aiming to please yourself? Is all of your life a, a, a tactical decision, one after another? How can I have a conversation so this person likes me? How can I have a conversation so this person wants to be my friend? Is that what your life consists of? Is your aim to please others? Those, those two overlap quite nicely. Or is your aim to please God? That, that is a sincere motive before God and others. This is where we get to the demonstration now. Basically, Paul has said, here's our aim, and here's the way we did not do it. <laughs> here's the way we did not share the gospel. Here's the way we did not live around you. And then what he does, he says, and here's the way we did. He says, all these things, this is, this is the no-no, and now here's the yes-yes. Let's dig into the positive side of this. See, our demonstration of the gospel, I would just simply put, it's loving, He describes it with five different pictures. But our our demonstration of the gospel is loving. I think what Paul does here in these next few verses, it's like when you go to someone's house and they pull out a photo album. Does anybody have a photo album? Are those the things of the past now? Right? I mean, most of our photo albums now, they're all digital, right? I got on my phone every day. It says, on this date, for whatever years that I've uploaded photos, it's like these photos come up. Sometimes they're like from 20 years ago. I'm like, oh my goodness. Right? But... Photo albums. You go and you pull it off the shelf and you open it up and you start to look at the photos, the pictures. Here's what Paul does he, he, he pulls out the photo album that says Thessalonians and he says, Let me show you how we lived. And he gives five different examples, five different photos. He says, This is how we lived 
with a sincere motive, trying to please God with an aim for gospel impact. Listen, these are five photos that I want you to put yourself in. I want you to put yourself in these photos, in these roles, and with the people in your life. Let me show you what I mean. Let's jump in here. Let's jump into verse 7. He says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. (laughs) Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might be, not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Verse 10, you are, our, you are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children. We exhorted you, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul Paul said these are all the ways we didn't act. We weren't man-pleasing. We weren't self-pleasing. We weren't in error. We weren't impure. We weren't deceitful. We weren't flattering. And then he says, but this is how we did live with you. You, you want to look at this photo album with me? Well, let's look at the very first picture that he gives us. He says, we love like a nurturing mother. We, we love like a nurturing mother. He says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. This gentle care, it's the picture, it's a picture of a mom with her infant. When she's, she's so tender, when she's so careful. And this is the picture of love that is a love that is, it is, is an intimate fondness between a mother and child where this mother is seen to every need. The child whimpers, the child coos, the child moves wrong, and the mother understands that this child, it needs the mom to care for it. I mean, Paul, we we like to picture Paul as a, a man's man. I think he was, but listen, Paul knew how to be nurturing and gentle and caring. This is our first picture This is how we are meant to love the lost world around us. We aren't to be gruff all the time and and mean-spirited and and, and just kind of have a scowl on our face. No, I want you to picture even the manliest guy in this room. I want you to say, realize God is calling you. He's calling you to, to have a gentle care toward those that you have influence over in your life. This is gentle and care, not because Paul walked into Thessalonica and he saw a grown man. He, he went over to Sean and he picked Sean up in his arms. <laughs> this is looking at the needs of the people around you in the way that you can gently look out and care for them. That's our first picture. But let's go a little bit more. The ne- next picture, I would say, is Paul says that we love like an affectionate friend. V- verse 8. He says, so, 
being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. I think this is like a friendship because Paul says that, that they became dear. You know, you think about a family. When you're raised in a family, even with your siblings, there is a, there is a dearness that happens already. There's an affection that's just kind of, it's a natural affection. But Paul says, we didn't know you. We came. We stayed with you. We were there for three weeks. And as we came, we became friends. Paul says, you know, we, we crossed a line somewhere where it went from us just sharing the gospel with wh whoever was listening to us sharing the gospel with these people that we now loved. Not in principle, but in person. He says, I close my eyes and I picture your face and, and you are someone that is my friend. I know you have my back and I know I, I, know I have yours. He says, we, we didn't just share the gospel. In fact, he says, I... We shared our very selves. This is how you were meant to share the gospel. Your gospel isn't meant to be a drive-by where you say, hey, trust Jesus, believe, repent, and then you're gone. Sharing the gospel, sometimes there's moments like that. Sometimes there's one-off chances. But most of us, the way we are meant to share the gospel is we are to be building friendships with the world around us, and we are to be loving them affectionately like we love a friend. So we're not just sharing the gospel, but we're saying, hey, come over to dinner. Let's, let's spend the weekend hanging out. Let's go, let's go hiking together. Let's do stuff together. We share our very lives. Let's look at the next picture. We love also like a humble brother. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. This is like being a brother, he says, we worked night and day, side by side. This reminds me of being a kid. I'm the oldest of four boys. I had three younger brothers. And there were days when dad said, you were going to weed the flower bed, and you're not coming inside till it's done. <laughs> and you know what? Those were the days where we were arm in arm, let's get it done. Because you know what? There were video games to play. And there were bikes to ride. <laughs> and so we worked get together. This is what Paul says. Not only were we like a mother, nurturing, gentle in care. Not only were we like a, a friend, you, you were a stranger, and now we, we affectionately desire you, but now we're like a brother. We work side by side. In fact, Paul, he worked as a tent maker. He made his own living when he was in Thessalonica because he didn't want to be a burden at all. He didn't want to be a burden at all. I think there's times when that's appropriate. I think there's a time when maybe as a pastor, there might become a time when this congregation and economics become so hard where we don't have the luxury of hiring a pastor and we just all work side by side and we make it work together. That time might very well come. The point is, the goal is to work as brothers side by side for the purpose of the gospel. Next picture. We love like a holy example you are our witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. To be holy, the word here is it's devouted. To be righteous means to be upright. To be blameless means without fault. Paul here is basically saying they didn't do anything that would cause an accusation to be, to be lobbed at them. Remember all those accusations earlier? He says, you guys know us. You know we weren't greedy. 
you know our goal wasn't to get a following. You know that we were blameless and we were a holy example. Let's look at the very last photo. Not only as a mother, not only as a, not only as a friend, not only as a brother and not only as an example, but this last photo, he actually takes the most time on. It says, we love like a focused father. Maybe it's because I'm a dad, but I find this one the most compelling. Verses 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted you, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom. This is a simile. of says, we were like a father with his children. And he uses three key words. The first word is to exhort. This is like an encouragement of an urging. This is to en- en- urge someone to do something. The next word is to encourage. This is more of a comforting encouragement. Exhort means, hey, you should go do this. Encouragement is more like, let me put my arm around you. Let me encourage you. And the last one he says, and we charged you. To charge is to take an authoritative position and to implore someone to do something. He says, I was with you like a father. There's some dads in the room. All of us have a dad, right? What does a dad do? In the right time, in the right way, he says, hey, you need to go, you need to go clean your room. And, and there's a tone there, Right? There's a tone that's not like, hey, I think maybe you should go clean your room if you get a chance. It's like, hey, you need to go clean your room. That's a charge. That's a charge that comes from love, that comes from encouragement, that comes from exhortation. But that's a charge that says this is how you need to, to live. How did, Paul, how did Paul charge them like a father? What did he charge them to do? To live in a manner worthy of God. And then he gives us a little bit of theology. The God who calls us into his kingdom and glory. He says, live, live in a life worthy of the God who loves you and sent his son Jesus to die and to be raised for you. You with me here? Just, just take these two words for a moment. Presentation and demonstration. <clears throat> What happens if all you ever do is talk about Jesus, but your life never matches it? What kind of picture do you paint? You you paint the kind of picture that no one wants the Jesus that you talk about. That no one believes in the Jesus you talk about. Or what what if you flip it? What if you live a life of demonstration? You're loving, you're servant, you're kind, you're gentle, you're a good guy or a good gal, but you never say the words, Jesus. What happens in that moment? Well, everyone thinks great things about you, but no one thinks great things about your Savior. You see, a full gospel presentation, it expects, it cries for, it calls out, and it longs for what? A loving gospel demonstration. Let our lives match the words that God calls to have come out of our mouth. Let's pray. Father, what great examples, what humbling examples, what what gracious examples. 
God, as we read these words, as we think about the way that Paul and those who are around him, the way they, they didn't just present the gospel, but the way they demonstrated it. Father, I pray that you would give us a longing. God, I pray you would give us a deep desire to, to be faithful. God, we confess that we're not perfect, and, and God, we thank you that you don't expect us to ever be perfect this side of heaven. We know we have selfish and sinful moments. We thank you that in those moments you give us grace. But Lord, we pray today that you would allow every one of us that gather here in this room or everyone that watches online, I pray, we pray together that you would give us a, a burden to share about Jesus so that people can know the great love that he gives. But Father, I pray you would also give us a conviction to live like Jesus. And we thank you for the, the, the example of Paul as Paul lived like Jesus. God, I pray you would give us a gentle care of a mother to those around us. F Father, I pray that you would give us an affection of a friend toward those near us, even those who at times feel like our enemies. Father, I pray that you would give us a brotherly care. Lord, I pray you would help us to be holy examples. And Father, we, we ask today... We ask that you would let us to be like fathers who encourage and exhort and charge people to live lives worthy of their calling. But Father, even now, we, we pray that you would help each of us to live lives that are worthy of you. Help us to do it out of gratitude because you have called us into your eternal kingdom and into your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.